With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket, the last look back at the county season. Summer's still here, actually. It feels like uh, it's going to go on forever, actually, after that amazing weather we've had throughout most of the the summer months. And later on, we're going to look ahead as well by talking to the mother of Sam and Tom Curran, who, of course, are already in Sri Lanka, part of the England One Day series, and then Sam, part of the Test series to follow. So we'll do that in the second half of the programme. But first, we're just going to look back at a momentous summer in many ways. One that seemed never-ending, Simon, but had had lots of great high points. A remarkable summer, one, one that you'll remember for a very long time. I think, A, because of the weather, absolutely fantastic weather. No summer like it since 1976. And also because there was a brilliant test series that, that England and India delivered. There was Coley, there was Anderson, there was Cook, there were two dramatic matches there was all those wickets falling at lords and in some of the other games as well so that was that was thrilling i remember going to the oval in april and it was blazing hot mm. i went to the oval last friday to watch the last day of the surrey essex game it was blazing hot it was a, it was a summer really to confound us all you know we say don't don't play in april don't play in september and the, the weather was fantastic weather was just a freak summer and we'll be back to you know Lots of wet rain falling in April and May in future and possibly even September as well remains to be seen. But in in many ways, a, a summer that's really stood out compared to you know, summers in recent years. Well, totally. Uh, and it wasn't just the weather, obviously, although I suppose that always helps, doesn't it? And in a funny sort of way, you look at the grounds at the end of the summer when it was being you know really pretty hot and they're all still incredibly green. That is the first-class grounds. I know club grounds around the country have, have suffered pretty badly and outfields have been like lightning in a lot of club grounds and you know people have been able to score quite a lot, lots of runs. But in the professional game, it feels like it's been the year of the ball yeah. to me, especially and in the, in, in the red ball. The seam ball as well. That's the other thing. You think of a hot summer, you think, oh, the spinners, bound to get involved. But you look at the first division, Verdi was the, the highest... 
rank spinner in terms of wickets taken. He was 14th, took 39 wickets, mm. you know, which is pretty small, isn't it, for a spinner. Second division, there was Jeetan Patel with 56 wickets. And after that, there was Matt Critchley with 34 wickets for Derbyshire. He played all 14 games. So thin picking for the spinners. Yeah. It was all about the seam bowlers. Seam bowlers in a belting hot summer. Yeah, bizarre. And, uh, and what are the reasons for that? Well, firstly, by the way, just to, to add to your stats there regarding seam bowlers, 30 bowlers this summer in the two divisions averaged under 20 for, per wicket. And that is... You have to go back nearly 50 years to find an equivalent number of bowlers who took their wickets so cheaply in the era of things like uncovered pitches in the 1970s. Because then you could, you know, pitch it on pretty much a sixpence and get the ball to nip around, and it popped off a length, obviously, on wet pitches when the when the pitch got wet after uh, a bit of overnight rain or even rain during the day when they didn't cover the pitches, just to sort of underline what the uncovered pitches, how that worked. But uh, you know, we haven't really until now had the real dominance of the seam bowlers that we saw this year. 30 bowlers averaging under 20 in some. I mean, Morkel averaged something like 13 per wicket. Matt Henry from Kent, who obviously helped them win promotion, 75 wickets at something like 14 apiece or 15 apiece. Remarkable, really. Why is that? Well, I think there are a number of reasons. We mentioned already the incredibly lush outfields, which I think kept the balls in pristine condition and probably helped just inject a little bit of moisture into the air as well, which is always going to help the ball to move around. I think the, the batch of balls they've, they've had over the last 12 months has been fantastic. They've stayed in amazing condition. I've seen a few of the Duke balls they've used, and you know, you'd still want to bowl with them with 50 or 60 overs gone. Groundsmen have left more grass on the pitches in the last couple of years to encourage a bit more even bounce and carry generally. I think also the... Uh, Advent of not using the heavy roller very much over the last five years or so has meant that pitches are spicier generally. But I also think batsmen's attitudes. You know, we, we, we've talked about this a bit. We've sort of talked about meeting Otis Gibson, the former England and now South Africa coach, saying that batsmen aren't prepared to knuckle down in the nets if the ball's nipping around. They'd rather come out and, and face some throwdowns on a flat surface and get confidence. I think there's something about the psychology of, of modern coaches which is now to reassure a batsman, to get them in a positive mindset before they go out to play, rather than, right, you've got to really tax your technique here because that's what you're going to get in the middle, and, and challenge them a bit. I think it's more, there's a sort of psychological uh, edge, perceived to be a psychological edge, to just keep people sort of buzzing and positive about their game rather than try and examine their technique too much before they have to actually go out and perform. How about the, the factor, you know, if the, if the ball is just doing a bit, as a batsman, your approach is, well, there's going to be one with my name on it sooner or later. I might as well play some yeah. attacking shots. Is that is yeah. that an element as I well? I think there's an element of that. I think there's also, obviously, coming off, you know, one-day yeah. cricket, a lot of one-day cricket just means... I don't think it's necessarily that the technique is any worse, but you're looking to be more positive in a one-day game and hit through the ball. And the number of pictures you see in on uh, in the newspapers or magazines or whatever where a batsman's gone through uh, with a big drive and got bowled through the gate, you don't see too many people bowled actually just playing a defensive shot. It, it, there is an inclination to try and go at the ball, drive it with the bat out in front of the pad, and the ball can find its way through if it's well bowled. I, I actually also think, I mean, Paul Collingwood made this point last week as well, that 
the skills of the bowlers. Some of the bowlers around now are are, are brilliant at, at the control, at the variety, uh, at making the ball do things. What about the idea that there's a different type of batsman now because of 2020 cricket? We're just in a different era of batsmanship. Totally. Yeah, uh, their the, the mindset is different, isn't it? Mm. You, you just don't look to try and play. You, you look to try and dominate. And that inevitably is going to result in, in dismissal. I go back to, say, the, even the first game you talked about, you know, you going to the, to the Oval in early season. I went to Lords, watched North Ants, Middlesex, and I sat down with Nigel Felton, the, the cricket chairman of cricket at North Ants, who was keen to see how the North Ants batsmen with young players would go about handling the, the, the ball on the, a Lord's early season surface, hoping that they'd sort of knuckle down. They were 41 for eight after about 15 overs. And that, you know it was all in a blaze of drives and whips across the line, resulting in leading edges and things like that. So they're, they're only four batsmen this summer have averaged over 50 in both divisions. One of them, of course, is Ian Bell. Mm. People keep saying, oh, why don't they recall him to England? But he was mainly batting in the second division, or totally batting in the second division. Only four bats on average over 50, and only, I think, two made a 1,000 runs. Well, Two, again, two in the first division um, and two in the second, second division. Bell and Madsen in the second division, and Burns and Hildreth Hill. in the first division yeah. made a 1,000 runs. And, and again, what, what do you compare that to? Well, I always go back to, I suppose, the extreme which is more, more or less brought about my retirement, actually, which was the year of the bat, 1990, when they put they reduced the seam on the ball to virtually nothing. And it was a, like this summer, it was a very hot summer, pitches were absolutely flat, there was not a blade of grass to be seen anywhere. And 40 batsmen averaged over 50, and about 15 of them got 2,000 runs. I mean, that was an extreme example. But now we're down to three, sorry, four batsmen averaging over 50. And the... Average runs per wicket, 26.8, I think. 26.7, lower since 1974. Yeah, lower since 1974. And again, that's the year of uncovered pitches. In fact, I look back to 1968, only one batsman averaged 50 in 1968. Have a guess who that was. Geoffrey Boycott. Our friend (laughs) Geoffrey. He's the only batsman who averaged 50 in 1968, 50 years ago. So you have to go back a long way to find a time when batsmen struggled to the extent they have this year. And it's, it can't only be about a mindset. It must be to partly the conditions as well. Yeah. yeah. So what, what can groundsmen or coaches encourage groundsmen to well, do? Does or do, the... or does, it, does it actually matter? Does well, it... No, that's what I was going to say. I mean, does it actually matter? I mean, the, the cricket has been entertaining. Look at that last game we, mm. we watched, uh, the Surrey-Essex game. That was a fantastic game of yeah. cricket. If Surrey all Best till last, almost, wasn't yeah. it? Best I mean, game till last. Know, Surrey all out for 67... Essex 470, Surrey 540, so clearly there wasn't too much problem with the pitch, actually. And then that last day, which was absolutely captivating, mm. finishing with, you know, my hero of the summer has to be Matt Quinn, the number 11 Essex, because, you know, he's got no pretensions as a batsman. He has to come in to face Morney Morkel rampaging through the Essex batting order. Uh, and, and try and fend him off and help his captain, Ryan Tenderscotty, get the winning runs, eight to win or something. And, I mean, he was hit on the helmet, he was hit on the hand, he was hit on the shoulder. He looked as if he was sort of... He looked like a star rabbit, but he managed to stay in. And, I mean, that, that blow to the head was mm. just horrendous. But he stuck it out, and they, got, they won the game and broke Surrey's unbeaten record. 
fantastic. And the fact that both sets of players, even though all the titles were decided and really there was nothing to play for, their total devotion, commitment, mm. energy, you know, enthusiasm for that for that battle was was captivating. And loads of people have, have, have tuned into the cricket over the summer, haven't they? We've had all these streaming services. We've obviously had the BBC's uh, radio commentary online as well. I, I mean, I think cr- county cricket, in, in its small way, is sort of on the up, partly because it's entertaining and partly because you can, you can find it now in these various online spheres. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We become used to batsmen, you know, playing in an aggressive way and, and getting out, coming and going quite quickly. So that first day at the Oval, when Alistair Cook was, was digging in, and it was very, quite a slow day, England scored under 200 runs, it actually felt... Um, probably because the series was done and dusted as well, and we didn't know the drama that was to come with Cook, Hundred, Anderson, etc., and these brilliant hundreds by the two Indian players on the last day. That that first day, it just felt so out of character. It felt like a, a mm, massive a throwback, throwback. A throwback to when I started watching cricket in the seventies. It was actually, dare I say it, it was actually quite boring in in, in a way. I, I mean, think you it, did say it that time. Yeah, did actually? I? Yeah. yeah. I mean, was I was thinking if this is what cricket is, then it's not going to. You know, we need to do something about it. I think that sounds, but. Yeah, that's actually not quite like how cricket is at the moment, is it? It's, you know, people are playing shots and batsmen are, are getting out. But you know, it, it does it does show you actually we become used to yeah. the sort of faster form of the game. And we we've had Sonil Gavaskar on on this show, mm. haven't we? Saying exactly the same thing. I, I said to him during that Trent Bridge Test, you mind the fact that batsmen don't seem to want to apply themselves anymore and don't you know they're not prepared to bat it out for 30 not out at lunch and he said no not at all I love it I love watching it it's great and I wouldn't quite go as far as to say a quick game's a good game but just being positive it's about runs and wickets cricket it's not about staying in and so therefore if you think the best way of making runs is to be positive Play that way, and and it makes for a good spectacle. Yeah, and it's, and it's always a more interesting game if the bowlers are in it, or perhaps if the bowlers are just on top of the batsmen. Yeah, those are huge scores. You know, they're quite tedious games, aren't they? If, you know, four hundred and fifty yeah. plays four hundred and eighty. They they can be quite tedious games. So wh- where are we? Where's the, what's the sort of state of the game at the end of the two thousand and eighteen season? Now, my my feeling is there's still that sense of unease, uncertainty, uncertainty. I think it's that feeling of uncertainty because of the hundred is there, sort of lurking mm. in the distance. We don't quite know. Um, what its shape, how it's going to look, uh, um, we don't know how everything else is going to fit in around it. And we've talked about Championship cricket, you know, it's been pushed to the margins of the season, start of the season, and the end of the season, a little bit in the middle. I mean, there, there, there is talk from the ECB that they will build Championship cricket into the middle of the summer when the 100 happens. Um, well, so we'll, we'll see on that. But you know, I think that there is a feeling of uncertainty. It's been a, it's been a great summer, but we don't quite know what's to come mm. in the future. You know, there's a sense of uncertainty around the, the domestic game. Yeah, and there's a lot of arguments going on at the moment, aren't there, yeah. about the money that yeah. is going to be targeted on the hundred and whether that's the right use of resources. Something like forty million now is yeah. what the the budget is going to be to, to market it, whereas it was originally thirteen million, so it's tripled. And that doesn't include the money that's going to the counties as well no, so that's sort of 18 times 1.3 million so that's yeah. another you know 25 20 odd million off yeah. the top of my head yeah you know, the, you know, so 70 million you know total and then you've got 7 million in for, for the women's game as well so it's looking at sort of 80 million or something having to be spent on on this new form of the game and you know i've done a couple of club dinners recently and they're saying to me well you know we'd actually quite like some better facilities actually i was at a club on uh saturday kyneton in warwickshire 
lovely little club, village club, raising money for their ladies' pavilion, their women's side, their women's section is really developing, but they haven't got anywhere for them to change, and, and desperately trying to find a bit of money to, to try and improve and make the facilities usable for both sexes. And there's so many stories like that. I mean, the, the, the chairman of Tunbridge Wells Cricket Club has written a letter to the cricketer, same kind of thing. Aren't they spending all this money on the professional game and the 100? What about all the clubs? They've got totally justifiable grievances. Mm. I suppose the ECB, from, from their point of view, they say, well, we'll make a success of the 100, we'll get more people involved in the game, we'll, we'll, we'll grow the game, and therefore you know, there'll be more people playing recreational cricket as well. So that would be their argument, is that we've got an opportunity here with the hundred to draw in many more people. The trouble is, you, you, that's, that's, that would be that, their argument. That, I, I don't know. That, I don't know if it's going to I work. I know that's their argument, but the trouble is, is all very well getting more people to play. But what are they going to play with, and where are they going to play? If there's no facilities, the facilities aren't able to well, cope. What are they going to do? Well, I suppose that what what you would say, what I would say to that is that if you do get more members into your clubs, you know they they pay subs and mm. the subs contribute to improve facilities. I mean, the, you know, clubs have to make money, and one of the good ways of making money, or the best ways of making money, is having membership, isn't it? Playing members who come in it's and, and pay their subs. to get subs. people to commit yeah, to that. I, no, I agree. So, you know, people are all worrying about their finances at the moment, and one of the first things they probably strip out is things like subscriptions to cricket clubs and cricket magazines. Um, we, we see that at the Cricket Magazine all the time, you know, 100 mm. subscribers a month either die, <laughs> sadly, or resign their membership for some reason, their subscription, uh, because it's the first thing you, you, you get cut out, cut out isn't it, when you're, you've got to put food on the table and live your life. You know, commitment to clubs is, is harder for people to sustain now as well. You know, I was talking to somebody at this club on Saturday night who used to play both days, but now he's married and his wife wants to do other things on a Sunday, understandably. Um, so, you know, it's very clubs have a real problem keeping hold of members. Well, that, that's that's the issue, isn't it? At the moment, is it? What what is going to happen with the hundred? And we've got another year to go, but mm. you know, before it's going to happen, two thousand nineteen season. At least, I suppose, two thousand nineteen. You've got the World Cup, and you've got the Ashes. So, uh, you know, it, it promises to be a, a momentous summer of cricket, two thousand and nineteen. Then the hundred, the year afterwards, and then we'll you know finally we'll get to know w- what type of competition we're going to have. Mm. And then they'll they'll get it underway. But all I mean, they are going to throw a lot of money at it to try to make it work. That's absolutely clear, isn't it? I mean, they they the ECB are determined, absolutely determined. This is not going to fail. Mm. Yeah, they are. And even though you know, quite a few county chairmen and and chief executives are, are, are kind of arguing about it. One of which, of course, is Surrey. And Surrey, we, we just celebrate for a minute. I mean, Middlesex person I am and we've never liked praising Surrey well, and, and Kent as well. You're not the other, no, the, I know. The, well, the, the other day you, I, you came out as a Kent when they won promotion and the, Durham <laughs> when they won promotion of the first division suddenly you were a Kent supporter. Yeah, no well I was a Kent supporter until I was about 15 because we used to go on holidays to Kent every summer and I used to go and watch them all the time and they were my absolute passion I, I idolised the Cowboys, well, Lucas, Dennis, mm. Assi Vickbull, Derek Underwood, Alan Knott. You know, I absolutely loved them. Actually, one of my favourite players was Graham Johnson, opening batsman. Probably a lot of listeners won't have even heard of him, but he was a really stylish opening batsman, bowled off spin. That's the way to go, actually, as a cricketer. Open the batting or bat at number five and bowl off spin. I wish I'd done that. Anyway, back to Surrey. Sorry, I interrupted Sur- Surrey, you. I just think this summer have been fantastic. Uh, four young players, blooded, t- teenagers. Obviously, someone like Ollie Pope has really come through superbly, but several others have done well too. 
credit to Rory Burns for just churning out those runs and captaining the side and not being burdened. I thought Morning Walker was a fantastic acquisition. Uh, and he, even to the last day of the season, he was charging in as if it was a Test match series to be won rather than just a, a, a straightforward county match after the title's already been secured. And I, I just thought the way they played was great. I, I liked uh, Alex Stewart's explanation that Basically, when, when he sat them down at the beginning of the season with the coaches, and they came with that, out with simple um, ambitions, simple kind of plans, strategies, which is partnerships. You know, build partnerships with the bat, build partnerships with the ball. Don't give runs away if you're not taking wickets. Just he calls it dotting it up. You know, just bowling maidens and keep it really simple, but work together as a team. And they've done that brilliantly. Yeah. And uh, absolutely, they've had a fantastic season. And I think we should also give credit to Worcestershire. Yeah, definitely. For getting to finals day for the first time, not only getting there, but winning it as well. Yeah. Which is you know, one up for the, the smaller counties, if you like, who have actually used the T20 route to success. Mm. And you think of Leicestershire and Northamptonshire, and this season Worcestershire. Another homegrown team as well. Yeah, yeah. Only 12% of their players in the Championship were from either outside the county or overseas players, so they very much nurtured their own. Sadly, relegated out of Division One. It's and, almost and like lost it, Joe Clark now as and well. Lost Joe Clark to Knotts. Uh, that you know opens another kind of hornet's nest of transfer fees and whether they should have them. That's perhaps one for another day. But uh, the sad thing is for a club like Worcester is you know actually they've done very well off the field. I like the way they've set themselves up now with the hotel and the conferencing facilities and so on, making really good use of the ground. They're obviously producing some gr- cricketers, but. You, it's very hard for a small county to thrive in both Championship and T20, as North Ants have proved in the past as well. Yeah. So, you know, you, in a way, they gain in one area and, and lose in another, sadly. Yeah, transfer fees. I mean, that, we, we could Ooh. do a whole programme on, on transfer fees. My, my feeling about that is that it's going to be very difficult to, for counties to pay huge sums of money. It's, it's going to be small compensation, isn't it? If there, if there is any type of fee it's, it, it's not going to be what's well, clearly it's not going to be in the football brackets but even, you know even you know say someone clark going to nottinghamshire they're not going to be able to afford to pay 50,000 or 100,000 pounds transfer fee for a player like that so it, it's going to be relatively small figures i would have thought if indeed it you know ever happened and and then of course that people will say well if you don't have transfer fees then it will just make uh, players move around, you know, completely sort of randomly, and there's no control. And counties that nurture good players are going to lose them. Uh, the, the trouble is, if you if you do bring in transfer fees, then it could restrict the movement of players because a county can't afford them, so they have to stay where they are. I.e., so, in the second division, therefore they don't further their career and go on to play for England. So it's a, it's a difficult one. Yeah, though. it is. Okay, well that's the 2018 season. After the break. We're going to look at, well, one of the players of the 2018 season, not just uh, him, but also his, his family as well. We're talking about the Curran brothers. Welcome back. And that, of course, is the English season done, but cricket never stops. <laughs> and England already in Sri Lanka, getting ready for the one-day series, which starts in a week's time. And two of the prominent members of that team, and the man who really starred the summer, Sam Curran and his brother Tom, uh, we're going to talk about them a little bit today because, for, for one reason particularly, not just the fact that Sam really came through this summer and was very exciting and rather eclipsed the, the efforts of his brother Tom in the winter, but also the fact that their other brother played first-class cricket this summer as well for North Ants, Ben. So there's three brothers all playing first-class cricket together. And 
I, we we tried to find a, a, you know more recent another recent example of that. We can't find one. We go back to the Hearns of the eighteen eighties and the Graces, the W. G. Grace and his brothers of the eighteen nineties and nineteen hundreds, and can't really find any brothers that together three brothers that played first class cricket in the same season since. So I don't know if you listeners at home may have your own knowledge about that and can send us uh, anything in if you go to the uh, analyst twitter feed at the analyst or at cricket underscore man with a double n send us uh, any thoughts mm. you've got on brothers sequences of brothers playing first class cricket I, I know that um in club cricket you get f- extended families almost taking over a whole club like for instance in the 1980s the dredges of Froome. Colin Dredge, who of course the played of the Demon of Froome, Colin Dredge, who played for, for Somerset for many years. And I remember um, John Arlott sort of talking about his run up as look as if a man sort of hobbling after a bus when he ran into bowl. But uh, there was also the Edrich family who played a lot of cricket in the, the Norfolk area, and there were quite a lot of them. And I remember once this ridiculous story in The Sun. Uh, of a team in Bradford who were all called Singh, and they probably weren't all necessarily related, but they all had the same name. All 11 of them were Singh. So there are, have been you know, some great examples of lots of the same family or related families playing in, in one team, but not too often in first-class cricket. And it's an impressive performance by the Currens. It is. And Ben Curran, lesser known of the, of the Curran brothers, he made 83 not out in his final innings of the season, which saw... Northamptonshire to victory against Sussex. He averaged 31 in his five first-class games for Northampton. He's 22 years of age, so he's the middle brother. Sam the younger, Tom the elder, and Ben the middle one. And, of course, you know there is this great legacy that they've got, which is their father, their deceased father, Kevin, who, I'm, I'm sorry to say, was the cause of the worst moment of my career, really, <laughs> because... I, I know I didn't have any pretensions as a batsman, but I wanted to finish my final first-class game with a bit of a flourish. And? I got a pair, and in the first innings, Kevin Curran clean-bowled me. It was a slightly more uh, sort of glorious dismissal in the second innings because it was Court Bailey bowled Ambrose for naught. But the first innings, Kevin Curran did, did me for pace and nick one through the gate as well for a duck. Do you know that sometimes, though, Kevin Curran, because he was quite a very feisty good cricketer cricket. and a good cricketer. I saw him play a lot for Gloucestershire in the 1980s. That There would be times when he was out on the field with Kirtley Ambrose and he'd say to Kirtley, I'm bowling, I'm bowling quicker than you today, Kirtley. I mean, he generally, yeah. he, he generally didn't. Because um, he was sort of medium fast, wasn't he? Well, he was. He, he hit the bat hard. Yeah. He was a nasty person to face. Actually, he was aggressive, and I, I, it's interesting. So we promised you we'd have an interview with the Currens this week. Well, it's not Sam, Tom, or Ben, but it's actually Sarah, their mother. So I went to to speak to her a week or so ago, and uh, the first thing I asked her was, "What did their father, Kevin, give them?" Most, what was the you know the kind of personality trait that he most influenced them with? And she said competitiveness. Everything's a competition in the house. You know, if they play on the um, PlayStation, it's who wins, has to make dinner or wash up or get the water. You know, it's nothing's just done for fun. It's all going to be a win lose situation. Are they all competitive, or is there one more than the other? No, they're all exactly the same. They. They all want to win, and yeah, everything's a competition. And, and do they play games in the garden? Oh, we still have them. Um, when we're having fries in the garden, we're still hit and run. We've got two big 
apple trees in the garden and I'll say to them, come on guys, let's pick up the apples and then it turns into a competition of who can hit one apple tree with the apples and then you've got 4,000 broken up apples on the garden rather than just a few apples to pick up. But yeah, everything is out in the garden. As they were, it's, it's like looking back at them when they were little. They, yeah. yeah, we still have a lot of fun at home. Um, what, what's it been like for you? Because you know, obviously Kevin had that, 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 that tragic death. I mean, you bringing them up, you running them around everywhere, the mum, with three boys all playing cricket. How, how the hell have you managed that? Well, I think, you know, I think it happens in a lot of households. I think if Kevin had been around, he probably would have been working or at games. So I think a lot of mums do that and take up the slack and run them around. So, uh, yes, I was lucky um, Tom got a little car as soon as he could and so he helped take everyone to their games and the boys had started at Wellington and, and Wellington were also very um, pro their cricket and helping them and so they would also try and get them to all the matches and their practices during the term. And what about you for on the sort of domestic front you know is it a question of lots of pairs of white and you know, different... Co- I mean, yes, the kit they have now is, is horrendous. Course, and Sam doesn't like his wash with everybody else because Tom claims everybody else's socks. And so, um, Mom, wash mine separately. And when you've got three pairs of sets of whites going in the same, no, those are my socks. No, those are... You know, so we, we have the arguments, but... Um, and the amount of kit as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, when they arrived back from Australia at the end of last winter, we had six pairs of golf... Six sets of golf clubs... Four coffins, 32 pairs of trainers and um, cricket boots hanging around. So had a bit of a sense of humour failure and had a scream and then it all gets back to normal. Do, do any of them actually wash their own whites? No. no. No, in fact, when I'm away, if I'm working and I'm away, they'll FaceTime me. Actually, Ben's probably got it off to the, the best. He, he does, but um, Sam will FaceTime me pointed at the washing machine and say, right, which which knob do I press now and how much of this washing powder should I put in? But yeah, no, I'm, it's my own fault. I spoil them, but um, well, it's, it's what I enjoy to do. So, and, and what about diet? What about you know? I mean, are they are they all together? Do you do you ever get time where you're all playing all over the place? Yes, to... Yeah, we do. I mean, when when they have downtime, it's it's lovely to have them all at home and. Um, I'll always do a Sunday lunch if everybody's home and get some friends round. And uh, yeah, they they um, they like to eat properly. Tom's very um, he likes to make sure he's eating the right stuff. And uh, um, which means what exactly? I mean, not too much carbs. I mean, is he quite specific about? He's not too no. He likes lots of salads and um, yeah, not too many potatoes and um, yeah, not too fussy, but. Don't like too many cakes and stuff, but. Uh... And and how would you compare? I mean, obviously the two sort of highest profile, uh, are Tom and Sam. How how do they compare as characters, in the in the home? Um, in that well, Tom's the boss, and uh, but he always has been since he's probably about two years old, and uh, he he sort of he's not bossy, but sort of says the yes and no. If we all if we discussing something we also if we're trying to do something we try and discuss it and usually Tom will have the uh, last say and Sam's probably a little more diplomatic but, uh, yeah. and, and do they do they ever um, 
sort of ask you about cricket or do you ever talk to them about <laughs> cricket? You know, I mean, because they haven't got a, a, a dad in their life now, obviously. And so do they ever sort of go to... Because well, I used to talk to my mum sometimes about things. I mean, not necessarily technical things, more maybe mental things. How do I relax? Or, you know, how can I get into the right mindset for a game or something? And sometimes the mum can actually be better at, at sort of cutting through that difficult area than the dad. Um, no, I don't think they'd ever... I think they've got a lot of professionals around them and I think, um, no, if I would dare to say anything about their cricketing performance mentally or or uh, on the field, I'd, you know, if I dare would say to Sam, why did you do that reverse sweep, Sam? Mum, don't, please don't ever comment about my cricket. It's not your field. So that's Sarah Curran, mother of Sam, Tom and Ben. What a tremendous lady as well. I mean, just... The, the effort of bringing up three cricketers on your own. I'm sure lots of mothers out there have brought up cricketers pretty much on their own, but uh, to do it with three times and get them all into first-class cricket, is, uh, with the help, obviously, of, of Wellington College and many other people as well, but it's still a tremendous effort. She should be very proud, and I think she is. What are they going to achieve, those those current brothers? And how, how far can they go? I mean, Sam looks hugely promising. Uh, we've talked a bit about him in the past about being potentially a, a batsman who will end up bowling rather than a bowler who bats. Tom, he played a couple of test matches last winter, and what a, what a actually duo of games to play in for his first two test matches. Mm. Melbourne and Sydney, Sydney yeah. in the Ashes, but it didn't go particularly well. Two for 200, mm. the figures over the course of the game, and then there's Ben with his five first-class matches. Um, how, how far can they go? Well, I, I think... Uh, I was at a dinner last week, actually, in which Gordon Greenwich was there yeah, for West Indies. recently. Well, it's a dinner time of year, isn't it? And Gordon Greenwich was there, and uh, he said he picked out Sam Curran mm. as the most exciting cricketer he's seen for a while uh, for England and said he just was really impressed by his attitude and his aggression and his competitiveness and his spirit. And that's the... the, the, the I think that's the abiding characteristic of all of the current boys, actually. Certainly Tom, I think he lacks a little bit of pace, but what he lacks, he makes up for with energy, enthusiasm, optimism, competitiveness, as we've heard uh, their mother talk about, good variations. I think Tom is more of a one-day cricketer. I don't think he does quite enough with the ball to take test wickets, and that was proved to an extent, by his test experiences. Sam... Two very flat pitches. They were flat pitches, but, you know, he's not a big wicket taker in first class cricket whereas Sam I mean we saw Sam bowl this summer he bowled out Yorkshire I think with his sixth ball of the game he knocked over Joe Rue LBW and that's not a bad you know, scalp to get early season Joe obviously very impressed with him uh, he took six wickets that day he got his hundredth first class wicket during the match and that was in May uh, so you know he's only 20 and he's already got a hundred first class wickets just shows he's got what it takes. He's got energy. He's got the ability to swing the ball. He he projects for wickets. He speculates for wickets. He's quite an attacking bowler, but with a lot of lot of good aspects: attitude, um, variety, going round the wicket, left arm over. Left arm over is a, a you know it's a difficult sort of type of bowling to face. Now here's a question for you: mm. Who is the most successful left arm fast bowler of all time? T- test cricket. Wazzy Macron, yeah. right? Who's second? Chaminda Vass. Correct. You've I'm been doing re- quite, no, no, I've been reading no, up no, on no, something. I'm doing quite, quite well today, actually. Jeffrey Boycott and Chaminda Vass. Chaminda Vass, 355 yeah. test yeah. wickets. And he had the same kind of 
uh, overall game as Sam Curran, obviously more experienced. And, you know, he wasn't particularly tall, he wasn't particularly quick, he was clever. And he pitched the ball up, he made batsmen look ill at ease, he preyed on their little tiny weaknesses on quite often very flat pitches. Mm. So Sam can go the same way, and of course he's got the added ingredient of his brilliant batting, which has just got something about it. I mean, the way he handled... I thought, actually, coming in in the Test Series a couple of times against Spinner, against Ravi Ashwin, you know, a man who's the fastest ever to 300 Test wickets, no mug with the ball, obviously, and Sam just handled him brilliantly. He played back to him most of the time. He wasn't worried about the DRS or getting his pad in the way. He just felt he could play the the ball, the ball mainly off the back foot and swing his arms and let, let fly when the ball was a bit wide from the faster bowlers. He turned two games with his bat, with his batting, so... He's got a lot going for him, and he surprised us all because when he played in that first test at Headingley, we thought, can he really be a test cricketer? Possibly not. But now he's shown he's he's got a lot about him. I suppose, first, he's got to get in the test team for Sri Lanka. You think those conditions over there, you know, spin-friendly, England will you know look to play, they look to have a sort of spin-dominated mm. attack. Um, does he get in the side? But he's got that one extra thing as well, not only the different angle, but also the follow-through, yeah. which could help Moen Ali, the yeah. off-spinner. So, you know, that's why, in a way, Vars and Murley were so effective as a pair, because Murley, I think Murley took nearly 600 of his test wickets in partnership with Vars, not only because Vars kept it tight at one end, but also because he could bowl into his footmarks. So, uh, I'm going to use a corny line now, um, and film buffs will recognise it, but Sri Lanka... No country for old men, really. It's a uh, you know, it's 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 hard work out there. They've got the, they've got the Curran brothers. I, I love that film. That's <laughs> one, one of my favourites. I keep watching it. What <laughs> one of the one of the great films by the Cohen brothers rather than the Curran brothers. So, do you think yeah, Sam? You think Sam on those Sri Lankan pitches can be effective? I do because I think that they don't bounce much, and if you're going for lbws and bowls, it's it's got better chance than. The, the the court slip, you know, the, the classic sort of English seamer trying to get people out, court slip, caught by the ball moving away and getting the edge, it's it's redundant in a lot of subcontinental pitches because the ball doesn't carry to the slips or the wicketkeeper. So bold and LBW is a much better way of getting people out. I found that. I was a shortish fast bowler playing in Sri Lanka. I got quite a lot of wickets, bold and LBW, because the ball doesn't go over the top of the mm. stumps. And so you know, almost aim at the stumps more than go for the edges, and that's what Sam Curran does well. So if England decide that they are going to play three spinners, so Moen, Rashid and Leach, say, yeah. they'll have to leave out a pace bowler. So, and so you think Curran ahead of Broad for that I think it's possible. I mean, I guess it depends a little bit how things go, whether Broad finds a, a particular rhythm or, you know, finds a way of taking wickets out there. You could have Broad, Anderson and Curran and just play Stokes as a batsman, have him as a possible fourth seamer if you need a... A fourth seamer with with Stokes. Um, I think a lot will depend on the pitches, won't it? Mm. The the one uh, in Colombo, which they played a recent test on against South Africa, thirty nine of the forty wickets fell to spinners. Mm. So you you wonder whether there's any point in well, that, that, two. That, well, that's my point. So is yeah. it is it is it is it Broad versus Curran for a final spot if England say they do go with three spinners? It could be. Yeah, it just rumbles on the international cricket, doesn't it? We go from one series to the next. The one-day series starts 
on Wednesday week. And you're off. Yeah, I, I'll be there watching. I mean, it's great fun, actually, watching England's one-day side. Yeah. Uh, wherever, wherever they're playing in the world. And this will be a challenge. The last time before a World Cup, they went to Sri Lanka and lost 5-2. They're in a bit of disarray. There was all those question marks over Alistair Cook's captaincy. And they said he was definitely going to stay as captain. They sacked him about three days after we got back. And then the World Cup was a few months ahead. But, I mean, Sri Lanka had a terrible record in, in, in one-day cricket uh, recently. So um, this feels like a great opportunity for England to win their second ever series in Sri Lanka. But it will not be easy. It's hot, it's humid, it's, it's the hottest place I've ever been. You probably feel that as well, playing yeah. bowling out there as you yeah. did in club cricket. Yeah, I do. But I, I, I would say one thing about being a fast bowler in a hot club country, and I know this sounds a bit sort of counterintuitive, but as a fast bowler in a very humid, sticky country, you're running into bowl, you're actually creating a bit of a breeze. So <laughs> although you're, getting, down. you're getting hot, I know, by running, <laughs> but you're also getting the breeze as well. So it's not as bad being a fast bowler in those places as maybe you might think, and you've just dropped your pencil. Yeah. So you're off uh, at the weekend. Great, looking forward to hearing from you and seeing how it goes. So we'll be back previewing the one-day series in Sri Lanka next week. Thanks for listening. Goodbye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.